Okay, uh, welcome to the new podcast. This is our second episode. Um, and what we are doing today is um, how can creativity through such forms as art, music, writing and the performing arts help to overcome issues around mental health? And we have two guests with us today. We have Anne Pritchard, who will be talking to us about something called fibromyalgia. Some of you may have heard of it, some of you may not have heard of it at all, but by the end of this podcast, you will know what it is. And we're also joined by Goldie, and he'll be talking to us about his mental health history and how he's coped with it in the same way Anne has. Uh, Stephen Preston will also be a co-presenter with me today, and we have had questions researched by Noel. Uh, for the very first question, what I'd like to do is address Anne, and just to give us a brief description of exactly what fibromyalgia is. Yes, Marshall, hello. Um, yeah, fibromyalgia, it's a hidden condition. Um, not a lot of people know about fibromyalgia, but I'm glad to say a lot of people know more about it now since I was diagnosed. But um, it's important to say it is a hidden condition, because people can look perfectly fine um, you know there's no sticking plasters or anything on a person with fibromyalgia so other people don't know um, that they're in pain um, and they've got the condition it's actually a dysfunction of the central nervous system which is of course the brain and the spinal cord so all the pain goes throughout the whole of the body um, but it can be in different places at different times or on different days um, and because everything's controlled by the central nervous system, every part of the body can be affected. So things, all these senses are affected, sight, hearing, taste, speech, and even the ability to think clearly. Um, it has a term which is called fibro fog, which a lot of um, people with fibromyalgia have. And it's just like, um, you can't remember things at certain times or strange words come out of your mouth and you've got no kind of control over it. So if I say anything funny today, you know the reason why. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but there's, um, there can be over 200 potential symptoms along with the diagnosis of fibromyalgia. Um, and some of those are things like IBS and digestion and stomach problems. So as well as the main um, pain of fibro and the fatigue, which is just an overpowering fatigue. It isn't just a, um, an ordinary tiredness. It's so difficult to explain, but it's, it's um, kind of like, if you feel as though you're getting the flu, a really heavy dose of the flu, not just a cold, you know, a real flu, where you are, you know, you have to go to bed, you've got that really tiresome feeling, that fatigue, you just can't move your body and your body feels so heavy. And of course you've got the pain that goes along with it as well. Um, I'll just say a bit about how it's diagnosed as well. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, there's, no, there's no test for fibromyalgia, so it's very different to other conditions. You can't just go along to the GP and say, test me for fibromyalgia because there just isn't a test. It's mm -hmm. a series of elimination. So, for instance, when I first started having it, I had a lot of pain in my wrists and my hand, and they thought at first it was arthritis. So you go through the process then of being tested for arthritis. And if that comes back as negative, they, they test with something else, osteoporosis or something similar. So when all those tests come back and um, they're all negative, then they'll finally say, well, you must have fibromyalgia. You know, 
um, the symptoms you've got all point towards it. Um, but to be diagnosed with fibro, you've got to have it, the pain for at least three months. And right. um, there is a trigger test. They call it the trigger point test. There are 18 different trigger points actually in your back. They don't hurt until somebody presses them. And um, it's usually a rheumatologist who does that test. Right, so that, that is like one of the tests. And you said uh, there's something about something like 200 symptoms for fibromyalgia. Is that yeah. true? It's true. Yes, it's true, Marshall. Right, there are so on. many things that go along with it. You'd just be surprised at how many things there are. Um, things even like just nausea, dizziness, you know, not being able to keep your balance. All the stomach problems I mentioned, like IBS, um, gastritis. People say they've got a very delicate stomach. They can't eat certain foods once they're diagnosed with fibro. They just don't agree with them. There are just so many things. There's a whole list of them. Sounds awful, Anne. Uh, can you work with this condition? Well, yes. Actually, I was working when I was diagnosed with this. Um, some people can still hold down a job when they've got it. Um, but it can get pro progressively worse, you know, as time goes on. I didn't know I had it when I was, when I was working full-time a few years ago. Um, I was working as a trainer for Action for Blind People, and I covered the whole of the Northwest. It involved an awful lot of travelling. I didn't know I had fibromyalgia. I might have had it for a few years, but I wasn't aware of it. I just kept thinking every few weeks, I feel like I'm getting the flu, and I had all that, you know, flu-type pain. And I felt very, very tired. But I was traveling and driving such a, an awful lot with my job. I, I just sort of said to myself, well, naturally, I'm tired. I'm, I'm doing all this driving. I could drive three miles up to Scotland or Cumbria, then drive all the way back and then still kind of do a bit of work. You know, I work from home then. So I just put it down to my, my workload, really. So it wasn't until a, a few mm. years later. And then I started getting more symptoms. I started getting pain in the back of my neck and my shoulders, which again, I thought maybe I hadn't been sleeping properly and I had a stiff neck. Um, and then as time went on, I got more pain and more symptoms. I've just started researching it myself. And um, I'd never heard of fibromyalgia before. And when I started looking it up and I thought to myself, this just sounds like what I've got. And I went along to my GP. She didn't know anything about fibromyalgia. And I had to present her with what I'd researched and say, look, I think I've got this condition. So right. not many people know about it. Um, right. Are there any support groups that could help you with that? Well, yes, there are quite a few now. I was diagnosed um, oh, over 12 years ago. It might be 14 years ago now. Um, now, once the GP gives you the diagnosis, they can refer you to some of the pain clinics which are in the hospitals locally. So they'll kind of send you on a course to learn more about fibromyalgia and the aim is that it's supposed to help you manage the condition and actually educate you about the condition. So I've been to quite a few of these uh, pain clinics and the, the courses and because I've researched just so much myself, I didn't really learn anything new, but it was quite nice to meet other people with the condition because they understood you know how I felt and you know there's a bit of empathy there so we could understand each other's condition but at the end of one of these sessions um they said well you know 
what's your aim now, what you're going to do type of thing to try and change your lifestyle to help yourself manage the condition. And at the time, I'd changed my diet. I was doing exercise. I was trying to be positive. I was using lots of distraction techniques. I didn't feel as though there was anything else I could do. So I asked them, well, where's the support now for us? Is there, are there any support groups? And the answer came back, well, no, there weren't any. There were none in Liverpool. There were none in Merseyside. The nearest one, there had been one on the Wirral in St. Catherine's Hospital over the water there. So I thought, well, the only, I thought to myself, right, they wanted a name from me, you know, as um, an evaluation from this course. So I thought, well, I think I'll set up a support group because there weren't any. And there were all these people with the condition, more so than I'd met on these courses I knew of. And I thought, well, it would be helpful to myself and hopefully it would be helpful to other people as well. So I set up a support group. It's called Fibre Mates. The full title is Fibre Mates Northwest Fibromyalgia Support Group. And that was the beginning of our support group. But there are other support groups. Um, there's, there's one thriving in Holton I know of, and that covers Warrington as well. But we get lots of people from all over the Northwest, um, Salzport, Cheshire, even as far away. I've had people from Northampton. We've got over a thousand members now um, on paper who actually I send the newsletter out to and actually look at our Facebook pages. Um, and then we have a kind of core group who attend the monthly meetings. Um, hopefully they can pick up again once um, the lockdown's finished. Right. Well, uh, just before we go on to Wayne, there's just one more thing I wanted to ask, and it's something that I found quite fascinating. And it's about how you took, uh, uh, you didn't take any medication, or you did take medication. Instead of uh, going with medication, you decided to treat yourself quite differently. And just to explore that, what was, how, you know, how did you decide to get off medication and go down the route that you have? Yeah. I mean, at first, when you're diagnosed with a condition, you're kind of led by the GP, aren't you? Because you kind of think, well, they're the answer to your problem and they know all about it and they're going to prescribe the correct medication. So traditionally, um, the medication for fibromyalgia, they give antidepressants. That's not for depression. Um, a side effect of antidepressants such as Valium and amitriptyline and, and pregabalin is that their muscle re relaxes. So they do help in a way um, initially for the first couple of months, I would say, um, to, you know, you get a lot of stiffness in the morning when you wake up because uh, you've been lying all night. Um, so you feel pretty bad in the morning. So you take these medications in the evening before you go to sleep. They can also help you to sleep as well because um, you don't get a restful sleep with fibromyalgia. The pain wakes you up. And you get other symptoms like restless legs, one of those 200 symptoms I was telling you about before, whereby the nerves in your legs feel as though they're jittering all the time and your legs can't keep still. So some of these antidepressants help with those types of things. So first of all, yeah, I was given all these um, tablets and um, tramadol was another one. I was on that for a long, long time. And then they prescribed morphine First of all, I had morphine patches and then I was given um, morphine directly and the dose was going higher and higher and higher. And I knew from the research I'd done that things like these opiate um, tablets and the antidepressants, 
they're only supposed to be given for a short time. So at the most two or three months. So if you kind of break your leg, they're good for those sort of things. Break your arm, you're given opiates and they help for two or three months for you to get over the pain. They're not for long-term use. And I, I came to the conclusion that they weren't really helping me and they weren't doing me any good. And I was quite fearful really of coming off them because I was expecting my pain to shoot up sky high and all the other symptoms, you know, to manifest themselves even in a worse way. So I took, you know, a lot of thought about it, but I thought, yeah, I'm going to wean myself off my medication, which is what I've done. And to be quite honest, the pain is no different. The fatigue is no different. So I know for sure that they are only, you know, better for short-term use, not for long-term use. And there are people who are now in my group and elsewhere who've been on this medication for years. 10 years is nothing for some of them to have been on the medication, but they're so fearful of coming off it because they're frightened that the pain is going to be so much worse um, and the fatigue and so on and all the other symptoms are going to be worse. But I'm so glad I did wean myself off them because so, first of all, my head was so much clearer. All right. Well, that's. I mean, I'm sure we're going to move straight back to fibromyalgia in a, a bit later on because I think there's a lot more to learn about that, and we will add a few contact details as well afterwards for people who are interested in this and want to get in contact with people further. Uh, but for now, we're going to move on to Wayne. How are you, Wayne? Hi. Hello, everyone. Right. Uh, do you prefer Goldie? Um, yeah, if you want. Yeah. <laughs> well, what I was going to ask is, it, you know, a brief history of how you, you know, your mental health developed and how, you know, I know that you've obviously had very dark times and, you know, I don't want you going anywhere where you're uncomfortable of going, but I just wanted to, you know, give us a brief history. Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, my name's Golden. Um, I'm 55 and um, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I drank alcohol for about 30 years. Yeah, I also suffer with depression, and I thought at one point um, it suited me to drinking depression, you know, because I have moments where I'd, I'd literally lose everything and be stuck in the room on my own, uh, full of remorse and guilt and all that, but there was other, you know, it used to take me to some very dark places, you know, and alcohol is a depressant anyway, so, um, yeah, so I, um, I sort of bimble through life and um, I wouldn't admit that I think anyone who's got an addiction, whether it's alcohol, drugs, overeating, undereating, you know, anything, it can be anything, gambling, whatever. Um, I found that these people tortured themselves for years because I did, because of the, the denial, you know, I'm not as bad as them, you know, it's not me, you know, I only need to get this job or get that girlfriend or move, you know, and I, I took myself all over the place, you know, all over England, but unfortunately I took my head with me, you know, my alcoholic head and my depression. Um, you know, I don't really want to do a life story about it, but yeah, basically it, it started off socially and it was okay at first, you know, and then it got to the point where I couldn't stop and... I was a functional alcoholic for quite a few years, and then it got to the point where I couldn't hide it no more, you know. I lost the marriage, I lost my children, I lost everything, you know. And I couldn't see, that back then, um, that it was to drink, you know. It was everyone else, as far as I was concerned. And it was, I just had some bad luck. Um, I'm, I'm the usual, you know, denial, basically. And then, 
you know, I, I sort of bimbled on, and um, I'd get a job, settle down for a few weeks, you know, I'd, I was doing it on my own quite a lot, I'd stopped drinking, and I'd even done it for a year once, and I was doing well, I got back in the gym, I was about 25 at this point, and uh, I uh, was doing well, like I said, I looked good on the outside, I felt good, but I didn't feel good on the inside, you know, and um, when I lost, um, lost my first marriage, I lost basically everything in a couple of weeks. So, uh, you know, I had a good job and everything. And, um, I was quite quite popular, in, you know, in the area and with the family and everything. I was, I thought you call just a normal guy to have on the outside. But then, you know, obviously my drinking took over and um, I ended up losing everything. And that's when my mental health really kicked in because I got isolated. It isolated me in my house, you know. I drank on my own. I, I didn't go out. I isolated everyone. I blamed everyone, so I wasn't in touch with anyone. And basically, my mental health just, just suffered, you know. Um, I wasn't eating, you know. And I, was just, I was just tortured. And around about that time, um, it was the first time I got sections, and um, I don't really want to go into gory detail because I don't want to put people off. I don't mind sharing my story because I've, I've, I've accepted that now. It's my truth. And, I do share it quite a lot because I'm in an AA and I do talks with people and I go to prisons and I will share it because just so if someone can get identification with it like I did with it with someone else, you know, it, it'll help them. And like I say, I've come to terms with my demons and that now, you know, I'm not, I've, I've owned everything, so I'm, I'm, there's no shame again with me, really. But uh, yeah, so I got myself to the position where I, I, I was driving myself insane. I was, I, I was psychotic, basically, you know. And um, about, uh, that was the first suicide attempt. And thinking back now, you know, I believe in, in my God, you know, in the higher power. My higher power, I call God, but it's my God and my understanding. I don't preach it, but I don't deny it. So anyway, so that's helped me. And both, um, yeah, I ended up in a place where I was, I was just, I was gone completely. I'd give up on everything. And um I, uh, I took myself to bed, took a load of tablets, and took a load of drink. And, but I, I left all the, um, thinking back now, this was really crazy. You know, that, I wasn't I was insane at the time. Uh, I put all the gas appliances on and went to bed, and climbed on top of the bed. And thinking back now, I could have killed like half the street, you know what I mean? It was totally irresponsible. But I was sick, I, you know, I was sick. I wasn't drunk, I was sick. Uh, but unfortunately, the next wife here that I've been on, used to call them berserks because I, I, I used to just go down doing very strange things. So she had the key and let herself in and that stopped it but I got sections. It was one good thing because I started getting help and I got sections. But even then I, I wouldn't admit to the, the alcohol. I was just saying it's because my wife's left me and she's done this and they've done that and I've got a little job and blah blah blah. So I wasn't honest with them so they couldn't work with me really. So he put me through. I was, I was in, in um, Stoddard House for quite a while, and then I went to the Windsor Clinic. And, you know, yeah. I, 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 I realised what I had to do to get out of there was act. So I acted while I was okay, but I wasn't. Well, I, I spent quite a few years. Um, I ended up homeless, and I lost everything, lost everyone. And I didn't I didn't bother with anyone. I became a recluse. <coughs> I, was, I was living in different places. I was... Yeah, I was just, I was really mentally ill as well as being you know, an, an alcoholic. And 
that went on for a while, and then I, I sort of got me me act together again, and I met me second wife. That was over twenty years ago, and again it was okay at first. I told her I used to have a drink problem, but, you know, with lying, um, and but eventually, anyone with any type of um, addiction, it, it it shows, you know, and yeah. she stayed with me for twenty years. Unfortunately, and she had to cancer. I just couldn't stop, and in the end, um, uh, I something happened, and it was really, really a, a, a big event, and, and you know, something really bad. I mean, nothing. Really, what it was, I, I got drunk a, a few. Uh, I, I caused chaos. Yeah. I thought that would stop me because of the shame, the guilt, and everything, and all that, and uh, it, it didn't. I tried and tried again, and then. It, it was so I joined AA eight years ago, and I'd like to say I haven't looked back since, but it, it got me, stopped me drinking, but then I realised that I, I was really mentally ill. You know, I, was, yeah. I was still left with demons, and it wasn't just the drink, you know, I realised that. And that's what AA was good for me. I'm not saying it's good for everyone, but um, it made me realise, because it, it's all about, um, you know, a spiritual malady really, you know, it's 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 all about um you know it's a phenomenal craving. Once I drink it starts off a phenomenal craving and I just lose all concepts of time, place, responsibility, everything. But it also went into the this you know to me it made me look at me and I went through um went through steps which helped me a lot. And about two years ago I had a breakdown, I got sectioned again. Um I wasn't drinking, but I'd lost everything again, sort of thing, you know, my wife, I'd, I'd left, you yeah. yeah, I got sectioned again, and then nearly about two years ago, I uh, I, I had a breakdown, I can't really remember much about it, most of it was in blackouts, I wasn't drunk, I think it was psychotic, and it ended up me running out of town, and then the mental health team were looking for me, my uncle and the police, and then I tried to take my life in town, but lucky enough it was found, and I, I, I was put down, and I got the help I needed. So, um, my friends stuck by me, and then my daughter come back into my life, and she put me up. She said, I'll put you up until you, you move into this place where I am now. And so, yeah, I, I stuck at it, and I moved in about probably a year and a half ago, I think. Yeah. And since then, I, my whole life's changed, you know, because I, I surrendered to what I was. I surrendered that, I, you know, I could never drink again. But I also admitted that I, I did suffer with a lot of mental problems, and I'm working on them. I'm, I'm where I live now. It's supported, and it's a, it's a supported program I live in, and it's to help you move forward. And it, it's a great bunch of people because they're doing it for the right reasons, and a good bunch of lads. And it's really helped me out because I've never been so happy. And I, I think you know what you've shared with us there is absolutely fascinating, and it's just so amazing that you've been able to go through that journey. That sadly isn't you know the only time I've heard such an horrible story with the abuse of alcohol and obviously mental health. And I think what happens is I myself have turned to alcohol because of my mental health, and we just think it's an easy thing, but like you say, it slowly creeps up on you, and you don't realize it's coming, and then it takes you so long to admit it. Uh, but once you've got to that place where you can admit there is a problem and you get the help you need, like you said, I'm so happy now as you. And I think it's just so wonderful to hear that story because you were so open with us then. 
Um, I can't imagine being in such a dark place that, you know, I could take my own life. But uh, just to, to hear what you said, to be so open, I can't thank you enough to be so open because I think we've learned so much about you. And you've got my utmost respect for what you've done and what you've achieved. And I'm sure Stephen would like to add something on that. Well, I was wondering, uh, did you have with a drink, was the drink uh, uh, a solution to your original problems? Or was it, did it, you know, was it covering up problems? You turned to that because you had problems. Funny enough, um, people ask me all this all the time, but we talk about it a lot, obviously, because I'm in fellowship. Um, and there's, there's a big debate where you're born, I'll follow where you're born, you can go into the science of it saying like you missed a certain genius and all that. But all I know is things happened to me in my childhood and I'm not blaming that. I, I, I don't ever say that happened to me so I've got me in my Because I know before them things happened, my mind wasn't right. I, I knew I was off key, even as a small child. To answer your question, um, I, I didn't drink myself into being an alcoholic. I think that's always been with me. But the drink, I started using drinks as a man. I think it was the solution, but it wasn't. It was just adding to the problem. You know what I mean? So the drink gave you the confidence to be yeah, able to, basically. yeah, to yeah. be able to relate. I think that's yeah, the case with yeah. a lot of yeah. addiction. I'm very, very, very shy, Stephen. Very shy. But once yeah. I had the drink, I could, I could sort of talk, laugh, joke, talk to girls. But then it turned on me. It turned on me. It didn't last very long being my friend. No, it turned on me. I'd say we're going to go 20. What it was is, uh, you know, when I was four years old, they sent me to a child psychologist and uh, they just, they, they, I don't think they had the words they got today to say, okay, this is the treatment they need and this is, we've come so far uh, in mental health, but I don't think people realise just how far we've still got to go uh, into understanding other people and um, certainly with you, I can understand when you said, you, you know, you're a child psychologist, they, they would have just said you're a bad boy and that was it, they don't actually tell you, okay, there's a deep-rooted problem here. Yeah. And we'll get there now, and hopefully we'll get there quicker in the future. Because it wasn't until 40 years later they turned around and said, I, I was autistic. It just took them that long to find out I was autistic. And yeah. I, th I think, that, you know, certainly where you are now, because I, I wanted to just quickly move on to someone called Damien John Kelly, which is the house that you live in, isn't it? And yeah. I just wanted to say what he's done for you. Oh, that's amazing, because it, it's all sorts of being like fate, I think, and like someone's been looking after me, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, where I live now, just to place it, it's run by Vitality Homes and it, it's a great organisation. They're in it for the right reasons, you know, they want to sort of like not seeing a gap in, in, in the market. Basically, people normally come out of um, rehab or detox and they get put in a hostel or they get put in a, a bed sit on their own, which is happened to me. And basically, you're just you're, you're taking someone out of the problem, giving them a bit of tender love and care. And then putting them back in the problem without giving them the solution. You know what I mean? And at this place, you know, I'm doing a bit of work in here and hopefully I'll, I'll progress and I'm, I'm starting to do some courses and all that. This whole house, they had the idea of basing recovery. But people get mixed up with recovery. It's not just a case of getting off drugs or alcohol and that's it, you're okay. You've got to learn to live without it and, and learn other things. And it, this place is all based around recovery based around the arts, around music, around sports, around photography. We've done some amazing things in here, you know, and I've, I've, I've started writing, I'm involved with community theatre. Everyone, lots have done all kinds of things, you know, we've, we've had a, um, a photography 
Um, I think we've had a gallery um, event, um, only a small one, but that was like based around our life in here, and it was good. Um, a few of us have been in plays and with poetry, and one of the lads has just got funding to do a short film. I think with fibromyalgia, people who've got it, um, they can become quite isolated because they're in so much pain on certain days and at certain times, and of course the fatigue that goes with it. Often they just have to take themselves off to bed or lie on the, the sofa, you know, and um, th they become isolated because people don't really understand the condition and they can get called lazy or, you know, things like that because other people don't understand the amount of pain and fatigue that they have. And to outsiders, they may look so they're lazy, they're just lying around each day and not doing anything. Um, so there's a lot of ignorance with the condition. And something I wanted to mention before, even GPs don't know an awful lot about the condition mm. um, unless they've got a specialism in, a specialism in it. Um, and they, they, some of them don't really want to know, but um, the national charity Fibromyalgia UK, they actually produce a booklet for health professionals and um, anybody can go to the website and order the booklet to be sent to their own GP. So if somebody with fibro or thinks they've got fibro, thinks that their GP doesn't know enough about fibromyalgia, they can order that booklet for them anonymously. They don't have to give their name or anything. They just give the name of the practice and Fibromyalgia UK will send that booklet to the practice to educate the staff within the practice, which I think is a good thing. Every time I send the newsletter out, our Fibromate newsletter, I always include that at the bottom to let people know to do that if they don't think their GP knows enough about it. So, um, yeah, a, a lot of the GPs will just give medication. Um, they don't realise that there's a lot more needed for somebody who's got the condition. Um, they need the support of other people. That's why the support groups are so good, because those people have the condition. Um, they can empathise with each other because we know what it feels like to have the condition and we know what we have to do to deal with the condition. We know we might look fine on the outside, but inside some days we could be, you know, really, really so poorly that we can't get up out of the, the bed or, or off the chair. So um, there's a lot of depression goes along with, with fibromyalgia as well. And a lot of people do have mental health issues because of it, um, because of the misunderstanding, the lack of education, the isolation and a lot of people don't know how to distract themselves from the pain people who can't use cbt can use other distractions like um creative writing painting drawing um for myself i've used a lot of those over the years because i have got an art background anyway so i am interested in painting drawing i deliver mosaic um, classes as well i took that back up again recently and creative writing has always been a love of mine. And during the lockdown, I've joined a couple of groups, um, a playwriting group, and um, which is a theatre group we're hoping to put a production on at the end of this course. I'm a great believer in things like that, that that can help because I know they've worked for me. I've, I've become in, uh, involved in the arts uh, myself. I've got mental health problems now. And um, I've found they've helped me massively, especially with confidence, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think they should have the um, the classes advertised in the doctors? 
might be more help than some of the stuff we put out. Definitely. <laughs> uh, that was another hurdle I had to cross with my GP because, as I say, um, we advertised the support group initially through posters and we'd always ask the members, I'd print off loads of posters and leaflets to hand out and we'd ask all our members if they can to put one up in the GP surgery or the leisure centre or the local library or the local corner shop just to spread the word. You know, we might be helping somebody who doesn't know about our support group who's got the condition. But um, actually, I, <coughs> pardon me, I had a problem with my GP. They didn't want to put any posters up, which I thought was disgraceful because, you know, it was all about mm. helping people who've got this, you know, the condition. Um, so we had to think of other inventive ways of getting the, the message across. And now with Facebook and Twitter and so on, uh, we're able to spread the, the word a lot more. When I first was diagnosed and I was looking for a support group to join, I found then a lot of those groups were very depressing. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of them were just a soundboard, I think, for people to talk about the condition, but in a very depressive way. So we kind we we try to keep positive. That's our motto. Keep positive. Try and have a laugh. Try and find some fun in life. We've got these conditions, but, you know, we've got to enjoy our life as well, haven't we? And um, that's that's our motto, and that's what we try and stick to. So we do have we do have a nice time. We've I've made lots of nice friends there, and everybody says the same. I was just going to say to Anne, um, you've got some contact details here. Um, did you want to share them with people yourself, just so people can then contact you to learn more about the condition? Yes, definitely. Um, first of all, if anybody uses Facebook, we've got two Facebook pages. Now, one of them is an open forum. They're both called Fibromates Northwest Fibromyalgia Support Group. But um, the one I've just mentioned is an open forum. Anybody can go onto that. They can join in with the chat. They can share anything they wish to. The other one under the same name is a members only forum. So that's quite a confidential group. It's only for members. Everything that's shared there is only for members and it's, it's kept just for the group. Um, but um, if you want to join, you've only got to click onto the link once you go onto the page. Um, Marshall's mentioned our support group that we, we run. Um, we meet monthly, hoping to pick that up again after lockdown. We have tried a few Zoom meetings, but unfortunately some of our members aren't quite tech savvy. Um, but we'll, I think I'll try it again and see how we get on with that. My phone number for anybody if they want to contact me is 0791. 208-4549 and my email address is Anne Pritt, which is A-N-N-E-P-R-I-T at tiscally.co.uk. So anybody can contact me via that email address as well. And the other organisation I mentioned earlier, Fibromyalgia UK, which is a national charity. If anybody wants to go onto their website, it's www fmauk.org they're very helpful there's a forum there you can join as a member and you can have chats there with people over the forum as well and they're very informative very helpful and we're actually partnered with them to be quite honest as well um, so they often refer people to me who've come through their website you know if they're in the locality Brilliant. So we are partnered with them. We're also partnered with the Brain Charity in Liverpool. 
we used to meet at the Brain Charity at one time. Sometimes we still do. But we, we also partner with them and all the events that they have on, we try to um, attend. And we also have a stand in any of their health and wellbeing events just to spread the word as well. And it's clear that it contributes uh, to certainly uh, identify with Anne, saying that you know, it takes your mind off everything. And I think Wayne's story has been brilliant in showing the, uh, the support that has uh, been shown to him and his friends of course. through the, uh, the projects they're doing, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to hear, you know, for, for what everyone's done here. It's a, And the great thing is, is, you know, I can bring Nolan and everyone on in this one, is that for the future, we do all see something as creative uh, as art, as music, as performing arts, as, of course, creative writing, which has been mentioned here quite a bit, how therapeutic that is, how it's helping to people to recover from alcohol, um, mental health issues, how it's helping to, you know, and to cover with very severe pain, you know, and social anxiety is another one that has been really, really helpful with. I've seen an autistic boy who couldn't talk to anyone suddenly get on stage and he was a brilliant little actor and he didn't he didn't fear the stage or anything. It, it's just such a wonderful recovery that I just want people out there that we mustn't stop funding for things like this. Uh, for funding things like the fibromyalgia group that you're running on, for the, like the house where you're living away. And obviously when you live in a similar situation, you're trying to help people out as well. It's just... You know, I, I, to see you all come together, I mean, we haven't got much time now. Uh, and all of, I, what I want to add is, you know, I could just talk to you people all day long. You're absolutely fantastic and you're all inspirational. And I just want to say thank you, Noel, for doing the uh, picture as well. Unfortunately, we can't see a picture on podcast, but thank you ever so much for your work. And just thank you all for joining us today. That's Anne Pritchard, who's told us so much about fibromyalgia. You've got the contact details. Please bring her up to us. You're wanting to help anybody. And we've got Wayne, who's had a very, very... A very deep story today, and I can't thank you enough for that, Wayne. You've been absolutely brilliant. And I want to thank Stephen as well for being my co-presenter. He's been able to ask questions I simply wouldn't have asked. Uh, now, this isn't the end. This is only the second episode in these podcasts, and there's going to be new podcasts coming up on episode three, and we're going to see just again how much uh, this wonderful world of creativity has really helped so many different people. So I'm so sorry we've run out of time, but I just want to say thank you to all of you. You've been absolutely wonderful, and thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, that, that's a wrap, as they say. <laughs> <laughs>